Thank you. Good morning. I'd like to uh, thank Mr. David for allowing me to come up here and do this. And this is a great honor for me and uh, proof that this church will accept everybody because <laughs> it's a bit of a reach to ask me to read. So we're going to do our best. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, when Pharaoh tells you perform a miracle, tell Aaron, take your staff and throw it down before Pharaoh. It will become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh and did just as the Lord had commanded. Aaron threw down his staff before Pharaoh and his officials, and it became a serpent. But then Pharaoh called the wise men and sorcerers, the magicians of Egypt, and they also did the same thing by their occult practices. Each one threw down his staff, and it became a serpent, but Aaron's staff swallowed their staffs. However, Pharaoh's heart was hard, and he did not listen to them, as the Lord had said. Thank you. All right. I think my microphone's turned on. Is it on? Yeah. It is? Okay, yeah. So you may be seated. Thank you, Billy. You did a good job on the reading there, brother. <clears throat> yeah, so if you're interested, you can watch Billy. He's a Euro Lake Fork guide. He's got a YouTube channel. You can watch me and him fish. We had a fishing challenge, and if he lost, he had to read this morning for us. It'll actually be in his next episode. It comes out. So if you want to watch it, he didn't lose, by the way. We tied. And uh, all the fish I caught. Yeah. All the fish I caught because he showed me where to catch them, use his tackle, on and on and on. So it was good time if you want to watch that. So right now, let's prepare our hearts to hear what God has got in store for each of us this morning. So I want you to be praying right now. Don't just listen to me pray. So Holy Spirit, just open my spiritual eyes and ears. Can you pray something like that? My desire is to hear from you this morning, God. Help me to see any blind spots I may have. Help me to be unoffended. God, if there's some truth in your word that I'm missing, then this morning help me to see it and to get it. Stir in my heart, oh God. Can you pray that? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so experiment <laughs> here we are this is this is kind of like our thanksgiving sermon you know in exodus we're talking, you just saw what billy just read about the throwing down the rod turning into the snakes good thanksgiving message this morning i mean man right that text runs right into thanksgiving i'm glad though that you're the kind of person that likes to go to a church where we just go verse by verse through the bible and we're not cherry picking things and just picking out stuff and making it all about something other than the word of god and god himself so Yes, I'm glad to hear y'all say amen. When I was a kid, we used to go to the circus. I don't even know if they have circuses that go traveling around anymore. They do. So when I was a kid, we'd go to the circus. And one of the things that always fascinated me is whenever I'd go to the circus, I would see this massive elephant, and it would have a little bitty stick with a little rope tied onto that dude. And I, I remember as a kid walking by, and I see that, that elephant, and I think, huh, how on earth is that possible? I mean, you know, if you watch, I used to watch something called Wild Kingdom. I don't know if they have that anymore either, you know. But in Wild Kingdom, I would watch these elephants. They would push trees over. Now, I don't know if you've ever pushed a tree over, but I used to run heavy equipment. And with a bulldozer, it, listen, a tree doesn't just fall over. It is, it is, it takes a lot of power to push even a little tree over. 
So to think that this elephant will be held by that. But see, here's what happened, though. This elephant, when it was a baby, they chained it up. And they'd put shackles and a chain on that baby. And that baby elephant would pull against that chain and those shackles. And what it would do is it would begin to cut him. It would begin to wound him. It would begin to hurt him. And he'd be bound by that chain. And then as he got older and bigger and stronger, they just removed the chain, removed the shackle. And all they had to do is just put a rope on. Because he had learned, he had been trained by pain, you don't pull against that. So he is, he's not bound by this rope. He's bound by his mind. He's bound by the past wounds that he has had in his life. Oh, wait a second. We already got a sermon going. We haven't got the sir verses yet. You're already getting wound up on me. See, I mean, that's a good thing about it. You don't need me preaching to y'all. Y'all know it already. But many of us, we are bound by the past wounds that we've already had, that we've already suffered. And it's not about where you are right now. It's about what you've suffered in your past. And then there's an amazing verse. This is what Jesus says. So if the son, speaking of himself, I'm going to ask you something. Are you, have you been set free? Because yes. he says, if you've been set free, then you will be free indeed. What he means by that is that you won't just be set free in one little, we think, oh, I'm going to be set free from my sins. Or suffering the penalty for my sins. But he's saying that if you've been set free by me, you've been set free even by your past. Even those past wounds. See, some of you right now, you're listening to me like, man, that sounds great in theory, David, but I don't have that in practice. Man, I got some deep hurts from my past, and I can't shake them off. And you get up there and do that little Sunday school sermon. It sounds real good, and you, you make it sound real cute and all that kind of stuff. But in the reality of the situation, I still suffer. I still struggle. But hey, welcome to church this morning. Here's what I would tell you is that every single one of us around you, we're in that same boat. And I would not get up here and say, oh, you just got to have, you don't have enough faith. You just need more Jesus. You just need to read your Bible more. No, 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 no. That's not how it goes. When we talk about those deep hurts, those deep wounds that, that have dug into our soul, that is not an easy little thing. You don't have, don't have a little Sunday school platitude say, you just get to get over this. That's not how it works. This is serious issues that God wants to help set you free from. So all I'm doing is I'm telling you this morning, listen, this is not an easy thing. Now look at the elephant and I think, man, that elephant, I mean, you put a wild elephant on that thing, put a little rope around a wild elephant and see what, grab a hold to the other side of that rope and see what he does. You know what I'm saying? Why does the wild elephant, why will he pull himself free and why does the circus elephant, by the way, you're in a circus. Every single one of us in this world is a circus we live in. Why is he bound? Because he does not know who he is. And see, you come in here Sunday after Sunday, and you hear me tell you about this. The most important thing that you've got to understand is your identity in Christ. It is about your position in Christ and not your performance. See, the whole church culture I grew up in was all about your performance, behavior modification. You need to act right. You need to do right. Do this, do this, do that, whatever. And that, that works until I get out of the parking lot, by the way. But when I get back out there in the real world, that don't work anymore. I need heart transformation. The only way that's going to work is a moving of the Holy Spirit and me understanding and working. Listen to me, church. Working on my position in Christ. What does the Bible say about your position in Christ. You got your outline there? Look at all that. You can read every single one of them. Just don't read them right now while I'm preaching, by the way. Go home, read those later. 
I'll just point out a few of them to you right here. Look at this. You're a child of God. So if you're in Christ Jesus, if you're saved, you've been born again. You're a temple, a dwelling place of God. His spirit. <laughs> but hang on a second. Can I just tell you all something? I don't understand that. How the almighty God is living inside of me. The creator of heaven and earth, not just earth, creator of heaven and earth, that is living inside of me. I don't understand that. So listen, this is more than just joining the church, more than just saying a prayer, more than just being baptized. All those things are good. We're talking about everything being made new from the inside out. That's what being free indeed is all about. A new creation in Christ. Oh, that's good right there. A saint. <laughs> we, talk about that. we talk about that all the time. Because in our culture, in our church culture, we make fun of people. We say, oh, you're so holier than thou. You think you're a saint. When, when, whenever the apostle Paul, when he addressed the church, he addressed them. Now, Corinth was wicked. Corinth was like, man, listen, Corinth was full of a rough cut bunch of people that were going out and doing crazy stuff on Saturday night and coming to church on Sunday morning. He referred to them as saints. I'm telling you once again, it's not about your performance. It's about your position, your identity in Christ. So whenever he talks, he says, calls them saints, every single one of them in the New Testament. Then look at this, righteous and holy, that's in standing, that's in position. You may be sitting here this morning saying, man, not, not in practice. Fair enough. But if you're in Christ, in position, righteous and holy, a citizen of heaven, seated in heaven right now. Woo, that's good. I'm already there. Chosen of God, holy and dearly loved, a partaker of Christ, you share in his life? I don't understand that either. That's too much for me. I already share in his life. Because I think about the way I felt this past week, I didn't feel like that. Am I, am I the only one to church this morning? Y'all looking at me like I'm crazy this morning. I didn't feel like that this past week. I didn't feel that. I didn't, there, there was moments in my week this past week where I went like, man, I'm sharing the life of Christ right now. There was times this past week whenever, man, I was going down emotionally, mentally, physically. Just was not feeling it. But here's what I know. It's not based on the way I feel. Thank God it's not based on the way I think. How many of y'all, if you came to church this morning and Jesus came in here, sat down beside you and said, put his arm around and said, I got some news for you today. Today, everything you thought about this past week, we're going to put it up on the screen for everybody to read. <laughs> I would not be good, would it? I mean, all of us would be like, I got to go. <laughs> Never going back to that church again. This all came from your new identity. Neil T. Anderson, he's the one that wrote the bondage breaker out. The bondage breaker, we've handed out over 250 of those. Give them away at no cost. Listen, if you haven't read The Bondage Breaker, I would highly encourage you to get that. This morning we're talking about spiritual warfare in this. The one down, the snakes, and more snakes getting eaten up. We're getting right in the middle of some spiritual warfare stuff. So grab you one of those. And if you, if you get The Bondage Breaker, though, let me tell you something. Listen, okay? If you have started reading The Bondage Breaker and you quit, get back to reading. If you didn't do The Steps of Freedom, then here's what happened. You just got a big five-course meal laid out in front of you, and you threw it in the trash. You got to go through the steps of freedom that are in the book as well. I highly encourage you to do that. This is what the Dictionary of Bible Themes how it explains faith. It says, definition of faith, this is good. A constant outlook of trust towards God. Any of y'all struggle with that? 
a constant outlook of trust towards God, whereby human beings abandon all reliance on their own efforts and put their full confidence in him, his word, and his promises. Well, that's good. Let's talk about something this morning. Let's talk about faith this morning before we get into our text. Because we're going to experience it, God's power. If I'm experiencing that, then it's going to be contingent on where my faith is. Look at this. This is what Hebrews says. Now, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So on your outline right there, we're going to look at four characteristics of weak faith. This is what William Gurnall said right here. He said, the weak Christian's doubting is like a wavering of a ship at anchor. He is moved. So like that, that ship is, that anchor's down and that ship is moved by the waves, okay? Are you with me? He is, he is moved yet not removed from his hold on Christ. So please hear me this morning. As I talk about faith and we talk about weak faith, there is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. So this is not to condemn you. If you're saying this morning, say, man, yeah, I've got some weak faith. Well, hey, listen, if you've got some faith, then praise God that God gave you that faith. So don't, don't sit here this morning and feel condemned to be like, oh, man, yeah, that, that's me. I'm a weak Christian or whatever it may be. Be encouraged this morning. And here's the thing about it is, here's what I can tell you. Every last single one of us, God gave you that faith, gave us this faith. His desire is for us to work out our faith with fear and trembling, to grow in this. First one is, first characteristic is it's self-reliant and it's self-seeking. So self-reliant means that I got this on my own. I don't need God's help. Or maybe I got most of this on my own. Every once in a while, I'll call in God to come help me. It's called spare tire religion, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Kind of like you got Jesus in the trunk, and you're driving along there, and he's just there just for safety, just in case you have a blowout. When you have a blowout, then you pull over, you go out there, and you get Jesus out of the trunk. He's a spare tire. Come put Jesus on. Just get me to the next service station, Jesus. Get down there, take him off, put him back in the trunk. I'll get you out when I need you again. That's self-reliant right there. That's me just, God, just when I need you, but when I don't need you, you kind of just stay in the trunk, Okay. And also it's self-seeking. What am I going to get out of this? Right here and right now. The rich young ruler, that's our text right there. As he was setting out, Jesus was setting out on a journey, a man ran up to him, knelt down before him. It's the rich young ruler. And he said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Here's what chapter is about the rich young ruler. He was young and he was rich and he was probably a synagogue ruler. Everybody that he ever met probably patted him on the back and said, man, you are good. Whenever we get to heaven, you're going to have the top seat there. The reason that you're young and you're rich and you're ruling now is because you've done everything good. You've done everything right. God has blessed you. You're living your best life now. Everybody's told him that. So when he comes up to Jesus, he's looking for Jesus to tell him the same thing everybody else has. He says, good teacher, what must I do? What is that thing? What's the work I must do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked him. Oh, man, I love Jesus. Man, he doesn't mess around with anybody. He's gut punched him right there, right off the bat. Good old gut punch. Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. I would like to see him look on his face right there. I bet you go, good teacher. And Jesus said that's kind of like, huh? Nobody's good but God alone? So essentially what Jesus is saying is that if you're going to call me good, then you are calling me God. That's right. And he's right, actually. Jesus is God. 
Do you know the commandments? So Jesus takes him to the Ten Commandments, takes him to the last five the commandments have to do with us and other people, not the first five that have to do with us and God, because you can secretly not keep those and make everybody think you, can't, you are. But the last five, that's where everybody sees that, okay? So he says, takes him there and he says, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. He said, teacher, I've kept all these from my youth. I'm in. I've done it. You just lied. You really, I mean, you were telling me that all the, way from your, all the way from your youth, you never dishonored your mom and dad? I know he lied there. <laughs> he might think he did it, but see, here's what he's saying. Jesus just said, there's no one good but God alone. And what did he say? I'm good. I've kept all those commandments. Looking at him, Jesus loved him. Here's the difference between me and Jesus. I would not be loving him right here. I'd be a smart aleck all over him right here. Jesus loved him and he said, hey, listen, you lack one thing. Go sell all you have and give it to the poor. Because his identity was wrapped up in being the rich young ruler. His identity was in the fact that he ruled the synagogue, the position of prestige, the money that he had, everybody patting him on the back, telling him he's a good man. That's where he got all of his value from. So what he was asking Jesus is, is that, Tell me that I'm good, and tell me what good thing I'm going to get here and now. What does Jesus do? He says, go sell all you have, everything, give it to the poor, and you're not going to have treasure here and now, but you'll have treasure then and there in heaven. You're forfeiting everything here for then and there. Then come follow me. But he was dismayed. Matter of fact, the Greek says his face, his face fell. He was dismayed by this. By this demand, and he went away grieving because he had a lot of good stuff that he couldn't part with. Jesus got right down to the heart of it and said, listen, you, the problem is that you're self-reliant and you are self-seeking. That's your problem. And he couldn't give that up. So I got to ask myself this question this morning. With my faith, am I truly relying on God 100% or am I looking to myself? Am I just seeing what God's gonna give me out of this right here and right now? Or is my faith all about joining him in what he's doing and about his glory and about eternity? Number two, it's on permanent inactive duty. Let me ask you something. Is there a difference between a soldier on active duty and inactive duty? Man, that dude, he's on, like, look, Melissa and I, we just got a, a picture of our nephew that just finished his basic training as a Marine. Man, I tell you what, like, the young man that went in and the picture we see now, two different dudes. I looked at the picture, I told Melissa, I said, well, Harrison's got some grit now. He just went through some stuff. You know what I'm saying? Man, he's battle ready, you know? So, I mean, like, the problem is, is that with many of us in Christianity, we're not battle ready. But we, we see ourselves on inactive duty. It's kind of like, look at this. Here's what Jesus, I'm just going to show you what the Bible says and let you deal with what the Bible says, Okay. Here's what Peter said, 1 Peter 5, 8, and 9. Stay alert. Well, we got a whole bunch of people falling asleep spiritually, by the way, in our culture. Stay alert. Watch out. Your great enemy. Now, listen, you come in here week in and week out, and you hear me tell you this. I tell you all the time, the devil's not my problem. I never said the devil's not my enemy. I said the devil is not my problem. 
Do you know why he's not my problem? Because I'm positioned under the kingdom authority rule of Jesus. I'm living in Jesus' house, and Jesus has already whooped his tail in. You don't want to mess with Jesus. So the closer I get to Jesus, the less he messes with me. And if he does mess with me, it's only because Jesus lets him. Because I need to be sanctified. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Look at this. Here's our responsibility. Stay alert. Stand firm against him. Be strong in your, so I've got a responsibility. How do I stand firm against him? I've got to be praying. I've got to be seeking first the kingdom of God. I've got to be getting close to Jesus as I possibly can. And then also, a weak faith is characterized by this. It sees itself on spiritual disability. It's all about God. You give me, you give me, you give me, you give me, but it's not about me joining God. I got one hand extended up to God like, you know, God, give, 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 give. And my other hand is doing nothing. When I should be looking to join him, look at this. The Bible says work out. So if you came in here today and you said, man, David, listen, this past week, I got in a lot of workouts. So I'm going to understand this, that you are taking what God has given you in your physical body, and you are stewarding it, and you are developing it. You're not getting a new body. Are you with me? You're developing and stewarding what you already got. So the Bible says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It's not talking about you gaining your salvation. It's talking about you stewarding it well. It's about you seeing what God is doing. You're working. It's like we pray as if everything relies on God, and we respond as if everything relies on us. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is working in you. He's doing the work both to will and to work according, it's all going to end up in his good purpose, by the way. And it's on long-term spiritual vacation. That's the last one right there. It doesn't seek first the kingdom of God. It's not interested in being in the kingdom of God. It's interesting because, when listen, here's what I don't want you, when I go on vacation, I don't want to do anything. I just want to kick back and relax, and that's vacation to me. Not be engaged in anything. That's a weak faith is about, man, I'm just tired. I just, let me tell you something. Here's what I can tell you for sure. When you give your best to anything other than God, you won't have anything left to give to God. Now, see, right now you can be like, okay, David, so what does God need from me? Nothing. But you know what you need from him? You need everything. And if you are not seeking him, if you are not making that a priority, then here's what I can tell you. The world, the flesh, and the devil is going to rob you. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to take you and wear you smooth out. So the reason that we seek God first every day, seek him before everything else, is because we need him. And if I'm not doing that, if I'm not investing in that, then I'm not going to be growing in my faith and my strength and experiencing God's power in my life. Let's get to that text now that we heard Billy read a while ago. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, doesn't say if, does it? it says when Pharaoh tells you, because God already knows. <laughs> this is too good. I can't pass this up. God knows what's going to happen to you today. You don't know. He knows if you're going to live, if you'll be here tomorrow, he already knows what's going to happen to you tomorrow. You don't know. So you can either do this. You can either submit to him and follow him, and he's got you. 
Or you can go your own way and hope it all works out and you get lucky. When Pharaoh tells you, perform a miracle, tell Aaron, take that staff and throw it down before Pharaoh and it'll become a serpent. Now, did anybody do this in the New Testament to Jesus? One day the Pharisees and Sadducees, the religious leaders, they came to Jesus to test him, demanding. Boy, I tell you what, they had a lot of nerve. They did not know who he was. Demanding that he show them a miraculous sign from heaven to prove his authority. Because they'd seen him doing, they'd heard about the miracles, and they're like, okay, now show us one. Because, you know, we're the religious leaders, so let us watch your miracle, and we'll see that, and we'll say, okay, we'll tell you if you really got authority from heaven or not. You know what Jesus said to them? Did, did he do a miracle for them? Look at this. Only an evil, adulterous generation would demand a miraculous sign. The disciples would pull Jesus aside and say, Jesus, you're going to offend the religious leaders talking to him like that. And, he's got, and, and the East Texas verse, he's like, I don't care. They need to be offended. Adulterous generation would demand a miraculous sign. But the only sign I will give them is the sign of the prophet Jonah. How long was Jonah in the belly of the great fish? Three days. And then whenever Jonah was yeah, there we go. Out of there from the fish. Then what did Jonah do? He went to Nineveh, and what did he do? He preached the good news of God's grace and mercy and their greatest revival in the Bible. Every, even their animals got saved. Everybody, everything got saved. So he said, I'm going to give you that. That's going to be my sign. So how long was Jesus in the grave? I'm going to give you the sign of Jonah. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. Nowhere do we see in the Bible where a miracle happens and someone says, ah, oh, I believe in God now. If the resurrection of Jesus is not enough, then no miracle will ever do it. That is the greatest miracle of all. Jesus said, I freely lay down my life. No one takes it from me and I'll raise it back up again. Only God can do that. And by the way, there is extra biblical literature that proves that to be true. Not just the Bible says that, the historians from that time talk about it too. It really happened. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as Yahweh the Lord had commanded. Aaron threw down his staff before Pharaoh and his officials and it became a serpent. Oh, by the way, do you know something's happening here? This is the first time that we've seen Moses not argue with God. Every other time when God told Moses to do something, he gives God an excuse and argues with it. First time, he said, all right, go do it. He goes and he does. So he goes in there. Listen, how many times has it worked out good for Moses so far? Every single time he's done exactly what God has told him to do, it backfired. According to what, what Moses would expect, everything went wrong. Let me ask you a question this morning. Are you expecting that if you join God in what he's doing, that everything is going to go smoothly? Are you expecting that whenever you become obedient to God that all of a sudden life is going to get easy? Because let me just, let me crush that expectation gap for you down and get you right down to earth, okay? Everybody in the Bible that obeyed God, it always fell apart at their feet at first. To test their faith, why are you really doing this? In the end, God always wins. The devil always loses. Pharaoh is a picture of the devil. Moses here, he's coming in as God's man. He threw it down. He sat before Pharaoh and his officials. And man, there, I mean, you know, at that time, this is my sanctified imagination, nothing from the Bible, okay? I'm thinking at that time they threw it down and it turns into a snake. I think that Aaron and Moses must have been stepping back and going, yeah, what now? 
There it is. You want to see it? There it is. They must have been thinking. <laughs> Why has it got turned into a snake? The Egyptian goddess, their number one god that they worshipped was Wajit. It was the cobra, the flared out cobra. They believed this to be the creator of heaven and earth. Sound familiar to you? Created everything, sustained everything. Does that sound familiar to you? <laughs> That's what they, they believe. And so, like, whenever we've showed this before, Pharaoh, he had the, he had the cobra, flared out cobra on his, his crown and all of his headdress, everything there. They also had a vulture, which is kind of weird, kind of takes away from the coolness of it. But anyway, it's a whole different story. Here's what the Pharaoh would say when he would ascend the throne. When they would take the crown and put the crown on Pharaoh, here's what he would say to this, this God that he's worshiping, this cobra God. He would call him the great one. They call him a magician. <laughs> Wait a second. I grew up watching Disney Channel and Disney stuff like that and Magic Kingdom. What's wrong with magic? I mean, like, I, we, listen, I, we, go to, we go to buy Christmas presents for our granddaughters and Everything's magic this and magic that. Magic's a lot of fun. Magic kingdom. Why, what's the big deal about magic? Oh, fiery snake. Here's what he would say. Let there be terror of me like terror of thee. Let there be fear of me like fear of thee. Let there be awe of me like, look at this. Let me rule a leader of the living and me be powerful as a leader of the dead, that's essentially what he's saying right there. So that's what he would do. That would be the, that would what he would, so really what he was doing is when he put that crown on, he was coming into alliance with Satan. Yep. Look at this. This is what Deuteronomy says. Old Testament, 18, 10 through 12. No one among you is to sacrifice his son or daughter in the fire. Practice divination. Tell fortunes. Now, some of you are right now like, you're wasting your time, David. We already know this, okay? Okay, so let me tell you something. I'm not wasting my time. I'll tell you why. 20 years of experience tells me right now that I need to tell you what I'm about to tell you. Because I remember one time when I baptized an adult lady, two weeks later, her nephew came to me and said, you need to go talk to my aunt. She is about to go to a seance so she can talk to her dead father. I just baptized her two weeks early. So I'm telling you this because I don't go into the assumption that everybody knows this. She listened to me preach. That was, that was humbling. But she listened to me preach week in and week out. Look at this said, tell fortunes. So you think, there's nothing to that. Okay, so this is what the Bible says. Once again, I'm just showing you what the Bible says. Tell fortunes, interpret omens, practice sorcery, cast spells, consult a medium or a spiritist, or inquire of the dead. Everyone who does these acts is detestable to the Lord. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, that's, that's Old Testament. Okay, good, there's New Testament. Now, the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, adult. Sorcery, hmm. So I can also remember when I was a little kid that we'd have the magic show at school, you know? So you know, here's what you're saying right now. Right now, I know some of you think, David, that's not really magic. That's just sleight of hand. Then why don't we call it the sleight of hand show? Why don't we have to call it the magic show? Why don't we have to tag that on there? So the sorcery thing right here, you may look at that now. You may think, oh, man, listen, that's no big deal. So go home today and Google the number one selling children's book in America. Let me show you when I did the Google search. Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. 
I know some of y'all are like, oh, well, my kids read that, or I read that, or I liked that, or whatever. Maybe it may be interesting. Listen, there's a reason why it's the number one selling book in the world, book series in the world, okay? It's, here's what I'm saying. is we make light of all these things. Our culture, I grew up watching Bewitched, you know, and it's all made into a joke. All no big deal. But here's what I'm telling you. Because I could go way off the deep end and scare most of you out of here right now. Here's what you have to understand. I've had a different, a different level of exposure than most people to this stuff. Up until about eight years ago, I didn't talk about it. When somebody else talked about it, I got uncomfortable, didn't want to talk about it. The last eight years, for some reason, God has brought me into an exposure of this stuff that I hope that none of y'all ever see. I don't go hunting it. I don't go looking for it. I don't get up here and talk about it and brag about it. It's just the reality of where God has brought me to. Here's my responsibility, to show you what the Bible says, and then you deal with that in your own personal life, okay? So I'm not trying to talk you into anything or talk you out of anything. Just want to show you what the Bible says, and that's it. But when Pharaoh called his wise men and his sorcerers and magicians of Egypt, they also did the same thing with their occult practice. They threw down their rods and they turned into snakes also. Because the devil is going to take everything that God does and make a counterfeit. You do realize that everything that God's got, Satan has got a counterfeit for that. And the, Jesus said the thief comes only to steal, kill, and so, I mean, that's, that's the whole point of every counterfeit that you see. Everything that's wonderful and beautiful that God made, the devil's got a counterfeit for that. We know that we are of God, 1 John 5, 19, and the whole world is under the sway of the evil one. So, I mean, you know, like, so I can, listen, I'll tell you something, folks. You know, the whole Harry Potter stuff and the Magic Kingdom and, you know, the, um, the, the book, this is Scholastic. Do you know what that is? Y'all do? They come to the schools, right? So a couple of weeks ago, they came to one of our local schools that some of my family goes to, and they had some inappropriate books that they were trying to get our children to read. The superintendent goes down there and walks in the middle of them and says, load everything up and get off my school right now. Get out of here. So you know what they did? They took their trucks and they went and they blocked off all the ways for the people to come pick up their children after school and kept them blocked out there while they slowly loaded their trucks up and left. Wasn't that wonderful? So, listen, my job is not to get in here and to get you all worked up against Scholastic or Magic Kingdom or Disney Channel or whatever it may be. That's not my responsibility. My responsibility is to show you what the Bible says and that we, our problem today is that we're sleeping and we're ignoring it, pushing it off the side, and we're wondering, what on earth is wrong? Okay, so, who's gonna tell you? In my experience, the last eight years, here's what I can tell you. There's a group of people that would look at me and say, David, you're getting too carried away with this, you need to shut up and be quiet. <coughs> then on the other side, there's a group of people over here that's gonna say, David, you don't talk about this enough. Why aren't you warning the people? And, and here's what I would say. Here's what I've learned in eight years of dealing with this. I have no right to talk to these people and try to get them convinced. I have no right to talk to these people and try to get them convinced. Here's my situation. I can't talk anybody in or out of anything. 
And until I'm perfect, then I need to just do what I need to do. So I'm telling you this. If you get aggravated because somebody talks about it too much or somebody doesn't talk about it enough, then here's my advice to you. Are you perfect? Do you, is your thought life perfect? Do you never get sick? The only reason any of us could get somebody else and say, you've got to do this. You're not getting to It's when we're perfect. All of us are in process. We're all learning and we're all growing. Okay? So I mean, when you get into this whole issue we're talking about right now, it's going to be uncomfortable for some people because you, we haven't had the same level of exposure that other people have. It's just a little bit different. Each one threw down a staff and it became a serpent. Here's what I want to show you before we close out. 2 Thessalonians 2, 7 and 10, talking about the Antichrist. For the lawless, for lawlessness is already at work secretly. This was written 2,000 years ago. It's already at work secretly. So here's what I want you to think about in the world that you live in. That for some reason, God has allowed this to already be at work secretly around you. Don't be surprised when it rears its ugly head every once in a while. It's real. It's there. And it will remain secret until the one who is holding it back steps out of the way. The man of lawlessness, the Antichrist, will be revealed. But the Lord Jesus will slay him with the breath of his mouth. That's pretty easy right there. That's, that's, I mean, that's pretty strong, right? With the breath of his mouth and destroy him by the splendor of his coming. This man will come to do the work of Satan with counterfeit, powerful signs. And there's some miracles right there. He will use every kind of evil deception to fool those on their way to destruction because they refuse to love and accept the truth that would save them. So the world we live in right now, it's got a secret thing going on. I mean, like most of us, if not all of us, we're not fully aware of. But Aaron's staff swallowed their staffs. Praise the Lord. That's a, that, that, you know what that means? Here's a, what happened here is this is a whole illustration of what's about to happen in Exodus. God's going to tell Moses do something. He's going to do it. It's going to look like it backfires in the moment. But in the end, God's going to deliver them. Do you know something? God could have killed Pharaoh and destroyed Egypt. And they all could have just walked out with no problem. God allowed Pharaoh to continue. God allowed all of this to happen so God could show himself strong, so they could have faith in him, because if all the enemies just fell off the side, we had no enemy, then we would not need God. Man, I know that right now, some of y'all are doing theological, you know, flipping in your mind right now. Because, you know, we look at this, we say, man, if God's good, then why does bad things happen in the world? Let me tell you why. Because Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit. And it's all messed up. So whenever they did that, they forfeited the kingdom authority of the devil, and the devil's been running with it ever since. <laughs> Jesus got it back. <clears throat> Death, burial, and resurrection, kingdom authority is back. When it says that I'm in Christ, I now have got the kingdom authority of Jesus back in my life. The devil is defeated in my life today. We, listen, if we were Pentecostal, we'd be jumping up and waving our hands and hollering right now. We'd be having a holy fit. We're doing it on the inside, though. That's all right. That's how we do it. That's how we roll here. We just we feel it on the inside. Because right here, here's my sanctified imagination. I think at this point, I think that Aaron and Moses' eyes bugged out and mouths fell open. And I think that Pharaoh and his guys, I think they took a step back. 
At this point, if Pharaoh's reasonable, let me ask you a question. Are you reasonable? I bet if I went around this room and I went to every single one of you and I said, are you reasonable? I bet I'd get 99% 9 back. They'd say, yeah, I'm reasonable. If Pharaoh is reasonable, he would have to sit back and go, we just lost. We lost. His God just proved he's greater. The snake represents the authority rule of Pharaoh. His snake just ate all our snakes. His God's more powerful than our God. If he was reasonable, he'd sit down there and say, Moses, listen, I hear you, man. What do you want? What does your God want? I'll, I'll submit. He's not reasonable, though. However, Pharaoh's heart was hard, and he did not listen to them, as the Lord had said. Do you know how embarrassing it is to be a full-grown man, grown man and get up in front of 200 people and cry? Especially when you're raised in a culture like I was. The culture I was raised in, you're a man, you don't cry. Babies cry. You know how many times I got up in front of 200 people and cried like a baby when I'm preaching? You know how humbling that is? I used to get up, I used to, and I would apologize. I'd go home and tell them, listen, listen, I'm such a baby. I cried in front of everybody this morning. I'm going to tell you something. I don't do that anymore. Because this is what I've learned. That only a hard heart doesn't cry. That a, that a soft heart, man, that when our heart is soft towards God, then the tears are going to come out of our eyes. If I'm soft towards God, then it's okay. So I'm not going to apologize to y'all when I get up here and I cry. When you see me get up here and cry, most of the time I'm crying because the Holy Spirit has so filled me up that I can't hold it in. The worst thing is when our heart gets hard. Because then we see it. We're not being being reasonable with God. It's like the proof is right there, but eh, make some excuse or something. I got to finish this right quick, okay? I could just sit up here and talk about this all day. This is fascinating stuff, okay? But well, we got a lunch to eat here in just a few minutes, all right? All right, here we go. Y'all ready? Buckle down. Got your outline out? We'll run through this right quick. Some of you, I'm going to tell one of your favorite stories in the Bible right now, okay? Story time in church, and you're going to love it because some of you are going to be like, every time I do this, people come and ask my favorite story. I love that story. So here you go. God has got something for you this morning. So Jesus just got through feeding the 5,000. This is what he says. Immediately he made the disciples. He made them, didn't ask them, made them, commanded the disciples to get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. Daytime, not dark yet. Are you with me? Say amen if you're with me. After dismissing the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Well, 100% God and he still prayed. Mm, Tells me I should be praying. Well, into the night, he was there alone. Meanwhile, the boat where he sent the disciples, he told them to do this, made them do it. If I'm doing what God told me to do, I would expect to get in the boat, man. I mean, like, you don't even have to roll. I would expect to throw up the sail, man. It's going to be this perfect, gentle breeze blowing me right across. Just kick back and, ah, this is good. This is what God told us to do. Already some distance, it was battered by the waves. How many of y'all getting battered by the waves right now? Hmm? I mean, like you say right now, I mean, you say this past week, yeah, man, that's, I got battered by the way. Right now, I'm getting, I'm hanging by a thin thread right now. Everybody thinks I'm holding it all together, but man, that's, that's not what's happening. I'm battered by the waves. Let me tell you something. If you're getting battered by the waves, it doesn't necessarily mean you went the wrong direction. Sometimes it means you went the right direction. Because the wind of this world 
was against them, just like it's going to be against you if you decide you're going to sell out and follow Jesus. Because why is God's power available to us? Because we struggle. That struggle is real. We struggle in this world that we live in. Jesus came toward them walking on the sea very early in the morning. Not very many people can do that, by the way. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, these dudes that were, listen, four of them, five, five for sure were professional fishermen before they were called. Not their first time to get on the water. Not their first time to be going against the wind. Not, this, isn't, this isn't something that was just totally, I mean, these weren't a bunch of lily white handed preachers that got in the boat, okay? They saw it, look, and they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried. That, that, we can't put in English what they did right here. They were screaming out. I mean, like, they were losing their ever-loving mind. I mean, like, they were screaming like little girls. That's what it's saying right here. They had lost all control of their physical and emotional being here. Why is God's power available to us? Because we need deliverance from our fears. Immediately, Jesus spoke to them, have courage, it is I. Number one command in the Bible, don't be afraid. So why is that the number one command in the Bible? Because that's what we all struggle with the most. The opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is fear. So let me just tell you something, okay? Let's just get the hard truth out here right now, okay? I'm tell you like it is. You may be sitting here this morning and be thinking, no, oh, I'm strong, I got a lot of faith, I am strong, spiritual, well-being person. Okay, so if you are, then you may be right. If you are strong, that means you don't worry, you don't have anxiety, and you're never afraid. Right off the top of the bat. So if you say you never worry about anything, you're never afraid of anything, and you never are anxious about anything, then you're right. If you got either one of those, and you're in the same boat with all the rest of us. You need some help. We all need some help. We all need some strength. He said, don't, this is a command. He didn't say, try not to be afraid. He said, don't be afraid. That's a command. Man, we need God's power is available to us because, number three, we need protection from ourselves. Lord, if it's you, Peter, Peter answered him. How many of y'all, Peter is your favorite disciple? The leader of the disciples, huh? If it's you, command me. You made the command for me to get in the boat and go to the other side. Now command me. I gotta, how about this guy? Command me to come to you on the water. He said, come on. <laughs> Climbing out of the boat. I want to know what the other disciples were doing here. Is anybody else going to get out with him? Let me tell you what the rest of the disciples were doing. The rest of the disciples were good church folks. You know what they did? They all got in there and they got on the side and they held on to the edge up there and they watched <laughs> And they talked about him. He's not going to make it. He is crazy. Can you believe he just did that? And climbing out of the boat, Peter started walking on the water. The only person other than Jesus that walked on the water. Got to give him that. And he came towards Jesus. Still need protection from ourselves. But when he saw... He's looking at the wrong strength. Because he saw the strength of the Savior. It's because, <laughs> man, this is going to sound like a sermon right here. <laughs> he stuck between the ship and the Savior. You ever been there? Yeah. Man, you done stepped out, but you're not quite there yet. Yeah. 
Maybe you're there right now, stuck between the ship and the Savior. You really want to get there. As long, you, know, you know, you've heard the sermon. As long as he keeps his eyes on Jesus, he walks on the water. But the time he takes his eyes off the Jesus, that's whenever he... Now, let me tell you something. It's not about what he's taking his eyes off and on. It's about that right there. The strength of the wave is no problem. The strength of the wind is no problem when you understand the strength of the Savior. Is it taking Jesus down? See, every step that Jesus takes, when that foot steps down, the molecules all change, and it becomes hard water. <laughs> and not slippery water, evidently. So when is God's power available to us? When we realize our weakness. Because whenever he strength the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. So we've got to realize our weakness. So we talk about strong faith. It's not about strength inside of us. It's about strength in a Savior, an almighty God. How strong is Jesus? He's strong enough to say, I'm going to lay my life down, and three days later, I will raise it back up again. That's pretty powerful right there. Immediately, I love this. Uh, he didn't wait around. He didn't say, well, let's let him flounder around the water. Let's make, let him learn, learn a lesson here. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand, caught hold of him, and he said to him, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Is there anything wrong with doubting? There isn't anything wrong with doubting. No, no, see, now, I know, you know, you expect to come to church and hear the preacher say, you should never doubt. No, no, let me tell you something. Your doubts can be the thing that takes you to your real faith. So don't come in here and think I'm going to be in front of you and go, you should never doubt. Oh, really? You can control that? That's like me telling you, you should never think about, don't ever think about orange. What'd you just do? Every single one of y'all just thought about orange, didn't you? Your doubts, that's where God works. Your weakness, that's where God works. I love that. Isn't that good? Standing on the solid water. Be a good sermon title. When is God's power available to us? You want to know when? When we focus on living under the kingdom authority rule of Jesus. So when they got, listen, here's the whole point. When Jesus went up on the mountainside, do you know what he was praying? Here's what I think Jesus might have been praying. I think Jesus might have been praying for the wind to blow against them. I believe that Jesus, here's the, here listen, as aggravated as we get with the disciples, here's the good news. The disciples didn't quit and come back in, did they? They kept on rowing and rowed and rowed all night long. When they got in the boat, the wind ceased. Then those in the boat worshiped him and they said, truly you are the son of God. And that's the whole point of the wind. So is the wind blowing in your life right now? You know, the old saying goes like this. You're either in a storm, just coming out of a storm, or about to go into a storm. That's, that's life. All of us, that's it right there. So when you live under the kingdom authority rule of Jesus, you will get sent into the storm. 
the good news is this. Whenever he, you're in his boat, going in his direction, he's responsible for the outcome of where you end up. When you go your own way, now guess who's responsible? That's no longer about his strength and his power. Now it's about you struggling to stand up. I'm going to read you all a few more verses. We've got to be standing up for this one, though. All right? You all ready for this? Because... Jesus, right now, okay, if you went to heaven right now and you saw Jesus, this is what the Apostle John on the Isle of Patmos, this is what he saw. He's there. He said, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and here's what Jesus looks like. Then I turned to see whose voice it was that spoke to me. When I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands, there was one like the Son of Man, dressed in a robe and with a golden sash wrapped around his chest. His hair of his head was white as wool. Are y'all reading this? Look at that. White as snow. And his eyes were like a fiery flame. His feet were like fine bronze as it is fired in a furnace. And his voice like the sound of cascading waters was roaring. He had seven stars in his right hand. It's a pretty big right hand. A sharp double-edged sword came from his mouth, and his face was shining like the sun at full strength. And John said, I fell down as if I was a dead man. So Jesus came the first time, as the lamb to be slaughtered for our sins and the second time he comes back as a lion the tribe of Judah riding on a white horse so he destroyed them with the breath of his mouth He got into the boat, and it became calm. And they said, truly, you are the Son of God. So if you and I, if we don't ever go through a storm, how can we know the power of God? When I first put up there experiencing God's power, you might have been thinking, yeah, I want to experience God's power. But you have to understand something. God's power is always flowing every day, all the time. The question is, where do I position myself? I'm going to make the assumption, because I see you're still here, that either you're not sick of hearing me say this, or you have some, uh, some supernatural ability to tolerate me. But I'm going to tell you again. This is why you wake up early and you pray. That's why we got the prayer guide out in the resource room to show you, help you how to show you how to pray to bring your life under the kingdom authority rule of Jesus, to bring your children and your grandchildren the river of life. Man, you say, man, I'm, I'm scared to death. Something terrible is going to happen to my children and grandchildren. 
The river of life prayer is out there. Pray that over them every day. You say, man, is that, that it? I mean, no accident's going to happen to them? I'm not saying that, but I'm saying this much. If something does happen to my children or my grandchildren, then I know this. It went through the hand of God. And if it went through the hand of God, then it comes with great meaning and purpose. Man, this life is not easy you're in right now. Why did God design it like that? Could it be that God made it so difficult here on this earth for us with a real enemy that's fighting against us so we will know his power. So how's your faith doing? They're doing real good right now, man. I'm in church. <laughs> Great. How was it doing this past week? Where are you struggling? Do you know you've been born again? Do you know the Holy Spirit lives within you? You're truly being transformed. That's the only way you know. And if you don't, then don't leave here today without getting that right. It's not about you saying a prayer or joining a church or anything like that. It's about you moving your position of your heart. So we're going to pray before we take communion. So if you want to come down to the altars and pray this morning, you're welcome to do that. If you want to go and pray with somebody else, go to them and pray. So God, we just come to you today, Lord. God, I pray over every heart, soul, and mind that's in this room and everyone who's watching online or will watch later or listen later. So right now, just reveal to me where I stand with you, God. Can you pray that in your heart right now? God, show me if there's a blind spot in me spiritually. So I bring my life under the kingdom, authority, rule of Jesus. Can you pray that? Jesus, you're my God and my Savior. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me of all my unrighteousness. Can you pray this? I renounce all my sins. And I bring them under the blood of Jesus. God, I ask you to forgive me of those sins. And I ask you to grant me repentance from them. God, today I am thankful that my relationship with you is not based on my performance. Can you pray that? Lord, I position my heart under your kingdom authority rule. To reign and rule over my life. You parents, would you pray for your children now? So God, I just thank you for my children. Just name them off in your heart right now.
God, I bring them under your kingdom authority rule. They're yours. God, I pray for them that you would reveal your kingdom purpose for their lives. God, help me to see that as well. God, help me to join you in what you're doing in my children's lives. I don't want to fight against you. So let's go ahead and take communion. So do you send someone from your family? So if you're going to look at the screen, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So let's go ahead and let's open up. So you know, I fully realize that some of you, you may be sitting here right now and you're just like enduring this as well. Like, man, here go David with the crackers and the juice again every Sunday. At the, one of the things he makes us do, come in here and do this thing every, every Sunday. <clears throat> so thank you for putting up with that and tolerating that. But I want you to understand something also that my responsibility is to rightly divide the word of truth to tell you what the Bible says, Okay. My next responsibility is, is that whenever you come to where I'm teaching and preaching the Bible is to try to help you move as close to Jesus as you possibly can. So if that's your desire, you say, I want to be as close to Jesus as I possibly can, then that's why we do this as well. Because here is as close as we get on earth. We're sitting at the table with Jesus. We're communing with him. We're thanking him. And what, it's not a better Sunday coming up I mean, I know that Thanksgiving is not a biblical holiday. It's an American holiday. But that our hearts are tuned in to God to be thankful. I mean, that first year, those pilgrims, those separatists, they were thanking God on Thanksgiving, okay? Don't make anything. They weren't thanking anything. They were thanking God that they lived. <laughs> that was it, that they were still here, that they had the freedom now to pursue Jesus the way that they wanted to. That's how our nation got founded. Do you think they had communion? I believe they did. Today, you know, as we thank the Lord, we always thank him for salvation, forgiveness of our sins. But maybe this Sunday, too, you want to thank him for more. Is there something else that you're thankful for above and beyond your salvation? To God, today, we are so thankful. 
God, today I am thankful that I live in a free country. I'm thankful for those separatists that sacrificed and came here to live out the gospel with their children. And here we are today, still enjoying the freedom that they sacrificed for. God, I'm thankful for all the men and women who sacrificed their lives for the freedom of this country. I'm thankful for the men and the women who are on the front line today that we can have this freedom today. But just tell God something you're thankful for right now in your heart. So if you feel comfortable, pray with me. Dear Jesus, thank you for your body. Broken for my sin. Thank you for forgiveness. You are my God, my King, my Lord, and my Savior. The seed in faith. Looking at the screen, it says, in the same way, also he took the cup after the supper, and he said, this cup is the new covenant. Mm, the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So let's go ahead and open up the juice. Yeah, the covenant. So the ultimate sacrifice for our sins was the perfect Lamb of God. So this representative of the blood of Jesus, representative of the new covenant, so he lived a life that we couldn't live. And he died a sacrifice that we couldn't pay, a price we couldn't pay. So that now when we position ourselves in him, we are forgiven of all of our sins. The good news for you today in Christ is you'll never pay for your sin. You will not be judged for your sin. Jesus took that on the cross. And we'll be judged for our works as Christians, but not our sins. So if you want to pray with me, let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you for your blood. Thank you for your sacrifice. You are my God, my King, my Lord, and my Savior. Let's drink in faith. So before you stand up and before we're dismissed, we're going to have a Thanksgiving meal in just a moment. I'll give you some instructions before you leave out on some things that we can do. Um, if you weren't planning on staying and you want to stay, we'd love for you to stay. If you weren't planning on staying and you need to go, then you know, don't feel obligated or guilty, you know. But you're welcome to stay. We'd love to get to know you a little bit better and share a meal with you, just like we share communion with you now. So you're more than welcome to stay. We'd love for you to. Plenty of food. Before we dismiss, let's go ahead and let's stand up. Let me pray this prayer over you. 
Then I'm going to pray over the food, and then I'll give you some instructions. So this is my prayer for you today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So before we leave out of here, hold your place. I'm going to ask the blessing over our fellowship and our food and then hold your spot. Let me give you some instructions before we go. So God, we thank you. We thank you for all the food that's been brought. God, we pray that all the food comes under your kingdom authority rule. And God, if, if any contaminants have gotten in any of the food, then God, we ask you by the power of your Holy Spirit to destroy those contaminants that it will all be clean and healthy and good for all the food and all the drinks and all the desserts. Everything will be clean of all contaminants or anything that will make anybody sick. God, we pray that you would just clean it all and we thank you for it. And we pray your blessings over our fellowship, over the fun we're about to have as well. God, thank you for our staff that puts together fun stuff for us. And um, we're just so grateful, God, for this time of fellowship that we'll share here as a church family. We just hold this time before you and pray your blessings over all of it in Jesus' name. All right. So here's